0: Welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This is episode 10 of season 3, and this week we are talking about flowering and fruiting in cucurbits, and it's a little bit early because it's still mid-May, uh, but people are transplanting this week, and so we wanted to talk about setting up your plantings for success later on. This is a podcast of the University of Minnesota Extension, uh, co-produced by Natalie Hoidel, me, and Annie Claude. And we are both statewide fruit and vegetable educators. And so this week we talked to Dr. Brent Loy, who is an Emeritus Professor of Plant Genetics at the University of New Hampshire, who spent his whole career breeding pumpkins and squash. So every year in the middle of the summer, we start to get a lot of questions about people's summer squash, mostly, and zucchini, um, where the flowers are either falling off the plant or they're producing really small, oddly shaped fruits. And this is a problem across the country. And so we wanted to talk to one of the country's leading experts in these crops to get some insight about why this happens and whether there's anything that can be done to prevent it. So with that, we will go right into the interview with Dr. Loy. I was told by some of the extension folks in Michigan that you are like the expert on cucurbits in the U.S. Um, So I'm curious just to have you kind of introduce yourself and talk about your work with cucurbits.
1: Well, I've been at it a long time, (laughs) and so if you're at something for a long time, you tend to get somewhat expert. I've been engaged in the breeding genetics and and some crop physiology with squash, pumpkins, summer squash, and melons, virtually all the different species of squash and pumpkins. For over 50 years, I no longer have a, a regular a teaching research appointment, and I'm now an emeritus professor, uh, but I have an, a, a research appointment with the New Hampshire Agriculture Experiment Station, and so I continue to get uh, pretty good funding, and my focus now is, is primarily on breeding. Uh, I do have one doctoral student uh, who's doing some fairly important work, uh, but largely I'm on my own and I, I have a research assistant and i able to hire students, help me out on my research. And I might add, uh, I also have extensive work with agricultural plastics uh, that I got into uh, back in the early 70s, working with different mulches and row covers and so forth. Hmm. So, okay. so I have a pretty varied background.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was most curious to talk to you about flowering and fruiting issues. Um, so last year was a pretty difficult growing season for cucurbits. Um, We had pretty significant temperature fluctuations with a really cool wet spring. And then we had these heat waves kind of interspersed. And so I think farmers had problems with a lot of cucurbits, especially summer squash. Um, we saw really low fruit set, really abnormally shaped fruits. Um, So I'm hoping you could share just kind of a really basic primer about the dynamics of flowering and fruit-setting cucurbits um, and why it's so impacted by temperature.
1: Uh, Well, I'll start off maybe just describing uh, the flowering habit. Uh, Most cucurbit crops are monoecious, meaning they have separate male and female flowers, which, uh, of course, most growers would understand that. Uh, of course they are bee pollinated and bumblebees uh, are really the best pollinator for for squash and uh, they're highly cross-pollinated but nonetheless uh, you can do make self-pollinations and and, and uh, females are totally fertile in self-pollination and the flowers are located in in the leaf axils or at nodes, what we call nodes, and and generally they are usually solitary. In summer squash and in 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 yellow uh, straight neck squash, you can actually get more than one flower in a node, but usually it's just one. And the male flowers are are produced close to the crown of the plant, whereas the female flowers are produced out on the the vines or runners. And in older varieties, if you look in text, text will often say that uh, the male flowers are produced first. But in most of our modern varieties, particularly bush varieties, really female flowers uh, tend to appear before the male flowers, even if the male flowers are their lower node number. Uh, The females are produced first, and and this is certainly the case in summer squash.
0: Yeah. So one of the things um, in one of your papers that you recommended was if you are seeing pretty much just female flowers, there are not a lot of male flowers present, um, you recommended using a pollinizer variety. Can you um, explain what that is and how that might work on a farm?
1: Well, probably, probably I was referring to in that case to inter, some interspecies hybrids, which uh, maybe are beyond this discussion. But but there are a few interspecies hybrids uh, that of squash that are actually utilized uh, in in some tropical areas and. Uh, so we have to have pollinators for those because they don't produce male flowers. And uh, so I might have said the possibility of of using uh, a particular variety that has early uh, male flowers, uh, you know, for a home gardener, but for summer squash, I don't strongly recommend that. And the reason being is most of our modern summer squash varieties have been uh, selected for extreme earliness as well as productivity. And so they tend to produce female flowers first. As a breeder, I try and develop uh, hybrids that produce pretty early male flowers, but invariably the female flowers come early. And usually those female flowers are appearing when the plants are quite small. And so you really don't want fruit set on a real small plant because the plant does not have a lot of leaf area at that time and so those early fruit are going to be small and actually some of the early fruit that are produced on cucurbits can be they're shorter than normal maybe a little bit misshapen and so they're not the type of fruit that would be highly marketable anyway so usually I would recommend to home gardeners that they just Wait until the male flowers appear, and and don't worry about the the early, the early small females that are produced. In fact, in our plots, we always uh, pick off those early females. We just go through one time and pick them all off because sometimes you can get some uh, some soft rots on, on those fruit before they fall off the plant, and and so. Just to to, to uh, keep things a little healthier, we, we pick those off. So uh, I have a, a a new early variety that's actually received quite a bit of press called Smooth Criminal. It's a yellow straight-neck variety, and it has reduced spines. And one of the companies that marketed that uh, had a, apparently a site where, where growers could call in and and ask questions or 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 make comments and and some of them were calling in about smooth criminal because they said, "Oh, it's producing female flowers, but no male flowers and I just said, "Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, the male flowers will come and and usually the plant will be nice and robust by then, and so the fruit size will be normal and and uh, the yield won't be impacted so so I guess that's my final advice on that. Uh, some of the butter. It? Yes, go ahead. Would you
0: recommend a, on a larger scale. If a grower was growing, I don't know, up to an acre or so of summer squash, would you also recommend to go through and um, pull off the early female flowers? Um,
1: probably most. Um, probably most growers would would not want to, you know, because they're very busy at that time of year with. Mm-hmm. often with planting mm-hmm. and so forth, and they wouldn't want to do that. Uh, so it, it's not anything that has to be done uh, uh, unless there was a lot of uh, uh, rain and so forth and maybe some soft rots were getting on those early fruit, then, then I might recommend picking them off. Other, otherwise, I normally they, you would just let them drop off. Uh,
0: so this actually reminds me of The conversation that inspired this podcast um, which was among a group of growers in michigan who consistently get these kind of small oddly shaped um, summer squash that i think they call jalapenos and how they have to hire crews of people to go through the field and pick them and so based on everything you just described it sounds like those are just um, female flowers that were not pollinated that have produced these small fruit um, and there's not really a way around that other than just going through and picking them if you are starting to see problems that they're causing. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I, I think that's usually the case. It's the early fruit. I will say, and this is probably more of an issue for a home gardener, is that you know the the photosynthetic capacity of a plant determines... As you're aware, of fruit load, I mean, the, and yield, and so forth. But uh, for instance, I've known some friends of mine that maybe will go away on vacation for three or four days, and they'll have summer squash, and they won't pick their summer squash, and then they'll notice when they get back that that all of a sudden their their summer squash uh, plants even though they pick all the fruit off, and of course there's some big fruit after four days, uh, they'll notice the the plant doesn't produce very well. And this could happen to growers if if they, uh, like for instance, some of my varieties, the fruit size up on the summer, yellow summer squash very fast. And, and, and in some cases, you can in a wilt really hot weather, you could you could actually harvest fruit every day instead of every other day. And so, if you're a grower and you go through the weekend without harvesting summer squash, you're going to impact yield because the fruit is the fruit is the primary sink for for photosynthates. And if the fruit uh, get too big, then it tends to shut down the meristematic growth. This is particularly true for, for a grower that or a home gardener that wants to continue picking summer squash, say for, for instead of just three weeks to continue harvesting from the same plants for up to five weeks, it is very, very important to keep that fruit picked off before it oversizes. What I was going to mention is that there are some butternut varieties that that produce a lot of females before the males come on. And, and so if you, if the vine growth was good, you could use a, it might be worthwhile to have a pollinator variety nearby uh, that would get some earlier set on the butternuts. Uh, Off the top of my head, that's, that's the one class of squash I can think of that tend to have very early females. And there's some varieties that they just don't produce the males till quite late.
0: So, among our kind of Midwest Great Lakes group of vegetable extension folks, there's been some discussion about using boron um, or maybe other plant growth regulators to improve fruit set. Do you have any thoughts about those strategies um, and how well they work? It seems like they work well for some growers. The research is maybe less decisive.
1: Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with that. Uh, there have been some trials of some, some growth regulators, uh, to induce fruit set, um, not for some time as, as I'm aware. Uh, and so I don't recommend, you know, any chemical inducement. Uh, however, uh, Like at our experimental farm, we don't have a boron deficiency, so that's not an issue. But at home, we have very sandy soils. And there's been occasion with some of our uh, cruciferous crops where we did have to add boron because boron is involved in the cell division process. So if if a grower has an an indication of a boron deficiency, I, I think... Boron can certainly help with the fruit set because fruit set uh, requires uh, cell division. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think that, I think that's a reasonable practice where, boron, where there is indication of boron deficiency.
0: Okay. So I'm curious to hear just about some other management strategies. Um, it seems like in some of the other crops, um, like acorn squash or other winter squash, they tend to start producing male flowers first and then transition to females. Uh, But there are all these factors like cloudy weather, high temperatures, those can limit female fruit set. They can also impact pollination. Um, And it can feel kind of frustrating to say like, just hope for good weather. (laughs) So I'm curious (laughs) if if you're looking at the forecast and maybe it's gonna be a really cloudy rainy week or it's gonna be a really, really hot week what would you tell growers in those circumstances?
1: Well, you're exactly right. Uh, You know, we can't control the weather and it's an unfortunate situation uh, because very hot weather, uh, particularly high night temperatures over 75, you know, for for a few days can inhibit fruit set. It can actually uh, cause, the female flowers to abort before they ever open. That's that's actually more of a problem perhaps than the fruit set. And sometimes it's a combination of factors because for instance, under low light intensity, like pumpkins and even acorn squash will not set well under low light intensity. So for instance, if someone growing these squash uh, has perhaps planted them too closely, so there's excessive vegetative growth when they're flowering, and so if you get a combination of high temperatures, cloudy days, and uh, excessive foliage, then uh, this can can impact fruit set, and it's it's a it's a combination of low and light low light intensity and the high temperatures. So uh, I think um, most growers would. would you know, find an acceptable spacing for their conditions such that, that this is not an issue. But like uh, when growing some of the, a lot of the new varieties are bush or semi-bush, and if these, and, and they fill in the space very densely, and so if, if there's not enough space, maybe wide enough rows so that the light can get in, Uh, This could uh, exacerbate uh, the problems with with fruit set under under the high temperature conditions and low light.
0: Okay. One related question. Um, A lot of growers will do a split nitrogen application. They'll apply at planting and then right as plants start to vine out. And that's especially true in really sandy soils. Um, I know some crops are really especially sensitive to that, where if there's too much nitrogen at the wrong time, they'll put a lot of resources into vegetative growth rather than fruit set. Um, How sensitive are all of the different cucurbit crops to that, Um, and do you know of differences between them? Like are cucumbers more sensitive than squash or vice versa? Uh.
1: That's a good question, and I, I don't have a good answer for that. We've, uh, we do drip irrigation, and, uh, but our, our fertility program is usually broadcast uh, you know, prior to planting, and, and we don't feed through the drip system. But we have done quite a few studies uh, where, where we do feed nitrogen through the drip system once the plants start to run. Uh, however, we have at our experimental farms, we have pretty heavy soil. So we haven't found any advantage to this at uh, home when my, my wife farmed for several years. And uh, we'd often uh, put fertilizer through the drip system late in the year, but, but you don't want to over fertilize because you don't want to get too much vegetative growth. Uh, and, and if you have excess nitrogen, it can actually delay appearance uh, of, the, of the female flowers. So it's basically just paying attention to, to the, the nitrogen content in the soil and in your plant tissue uh, so that you don't over fertilize. Uh, and then, then this shouldn't really have a negative impact on your crop.
0: Okay. That sounds like you're just kind of stressing basic good management, right? Like good nutrient management, proper spacing. Beyond that, like, are there other things that you might recommend to growers who are having problems with mishap and fruit um, or fruit set problems?
1: Yeah, no. On, on again, on the, on the fruit set problems, uh, Again, it's it's you don't wanna create excessive, overly excessive vine growth because because of the problem of delaying flowering, of uh, overshading the plants so that they under you know cloudy conditions, uh, the, the fruit tend to abort more. It's uh, basically like you say, just to uh, uh, try and use the best management practices, and of course, if you get extreme environmental conditions that are not conducive to fruit set, there's really no way to overcome that. You just have to be patient and wait till the better wet weather conditions prevail, and then uh, the fruit set uh, should should be okay. It might delay harvest a little, but but the fruit set should be okay. I think on summer squash, that's a little different situation than winter squash, because normally you're going to plant and and have rows wide enough so you can do your harvest so so light is usually not the issue with with summer squash like it is for uh, winter squash and pumpkins. and I think uh, it's more the excessively high temperatures can at some sometimes be an issue on the summer squash and fruit set. And of course disease problems can impact that as well. I tend to breed and and grow summer squash varieties that have quite an open habit, okay? And there are some yellow summer squash varieties that have been bred that are just, they're not open, they're uh, difficult to pick. And uh, there's some varieties that are quite productive such as fortune, for instance, uh, but uh, after you've picked it for a couple of weeks, uh, the plants get put out uh, too many laterals and, and too much vegetative growth, and makes it difficult to pick. And so, I think it's if growers try and seek out varieties that are single stem, for instance, and have a nice open habit, this is uh, would be in general. Uh, more conducive to, to better fruit set I think than, than varieties that are that are overly vegetative and uh, and not uh, upright and open
0: okay that's good to know um, so one question maybe this is a little out there but would you ever consider it worthwhile to experiment with like shade cloth for example if you're seeing like really, really hot weather in the forecast? Or does that seem like more effort and money than it's worth?
1: Well, to me, it seems like uh, more effort and money than it's worth. Uh, Having said that, we have done experiments actually with melons because we have kind of a cool uh, temperature regime for melon growth. And of course, I've been breeding melons and using row covers and we actually did an experiment where we left a wide cover on melons and put a beehive underneath and and actually we ended up with too much vine growth and <laughs> and not enough fruit yield under those conditions and uh i think a home gardener could perhaps try something like that but but then to reduce the temperature you when you put the row cover over you also reduce the light intensity so so I'm not sure that uh, such a practice would be worthwhile.
0: Right. Okay. And you just mentioned um, introducing pollinators. Is that is that something you have done work with?
1: I haven't done a lot of work with that. Uh, we have had some issues. For instance, uh, we prefer honeybees to pollinate our. Our melons but but bumblebees uh, they prefer would prefer the squash but'll they'll, they'll come to the melons but we uh, had a, a person doing research on uh, wild bees and and we were told we couldn't we couldn't have our beehives in our research fields and and that did cause uh, I think a delay in, in some of our melon pollinations for example but I do recommend, you know, growers, if they do not think they have an, uh, enough uh, either native honeybees, I mean, or native squash bees and bumblebees in particular around to, to add hives, uh, I would say a home gardener, this, this is not an issue, or even even small growers. But for, for large acreages, yeah, I think uh, probably having hives, extra hives set, set in a field is a good idea. There's some evidence that suggests that fruit size is larger with, with better pollination. I'm, uh, I'm a little skeptical of that, but uh, perhaps under some conditions that, that could be the case.
0: So to recap, um, sounds like the main strategies that you have suggested are just kind of good basic Nutrient management, making sure you've got enough boron in your soil, um, adequate spacing, choosing varieties that maybe have a more open habit, and then if you feel like you are not seeing as much pollination as you'd like, um, maybe introduce some bumblebees or um, maybe invest in you know yeah. native plants and plant habitat that can support pollinators as well. Um, yeah. Are there
1: any other things beyond those
0: recommendations? Uh, I can't
1: think of any off the top of my head. I'm sure uh, I might think of some things later <laughs> relating to that. Uh, but I think, yeah, just the uh, best management practices, really. And and of course, uh, good growers have experience with some of these issues and, and and I'm sure there's growers out there that would say, "Well, I use this variety because it uh, it sets well under extreme heat." You know, I'm I know there's growers out there that have information, well, uh, maybe on uh, this variety or that. But uh, yeah, I, from my end, it's just use good management practices. You know, good good spacing practices. Uh, always trial a number of varieties to f- to find the best variety that that uh, responds well to to adverse conditions. I don't know if that answered the the specific question you had. Yeah, that's good.
0: All right. So I think that was those were all the questions I had. Um. Is so there any any Final thoughts or things
1: you want to add, or is that about it? Well, that's about it. It's uh, been interesting for me to to uh, think about some of these questions that uh, we see all the time, and maybe we just get over overused to to dealing with them, you know, just from experience, uh, and uh, but but maybe have not thought about it in the same way that. that Know, home gardeners and growers see it. But I think that covers covers most of the major problems that, that we certainly encounter here in New Hampshire.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk.
1: Well, thank you uh, very much uh, for, for leading this discussion.
0: All right, well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please do leave reviews and comments Um, And feel free to send us episode suggestions for future episodes. Thanks for listening. Bye.